Mover Nation, welcome back to another live episode of Moving Past Trauma. I'm your host, Collier Landry. Let's get into it. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial. In- when I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. I want to say, you know, I was listening to something just before I came on, and it was an NPR article on heat stroke, because obviously half the country is... Uh, experiencing a massive, half the world is experiencing a massive heat wave. We just had the hottest July on record. It was very interesting to hear what exactly your body goes through when you experience heat stroke, because um, I was not, I was, as someone who loves the heat, who loves humidity, who does not like cold weather, I think after listening to this report on NPR, I, um, I am starting to reconsider that just a little bit on what goes on. They say 104 degrees is the is the temperature which your body gets, which is the danger zone. And um, yeah, uh, also on a solemn note, uh, for those of you that are here, you know, uh, let's keep in our prayers. The people of Lahaina and in Maui with the fires that are going on right now, because um, I was you know going through TikTok. I think like a lot of people were last night and again today, and just the devastation is very, is very real. And there were a lot of people responding to some of these comments saying, "Well, we're going on vacation there, so we should be okay in a month." Let's so keep in mind that the people who staff these locations where you're going to your uh, a particular vacation spot or wherever you're traveling to, they are local people that are unfortunately have lost their whole worlds, uh, homes, uh, ways of life, businesses that that f- that function to staff these resorts and to provide food and and uh, meals and and entertainment. So just keep that in mind uh, when you're thinking about this. If you are traveling, I just had two friends get back from Maui. And uh, yeah, it's a real thing. So just keep that in mind. Anyways, um, you guys know her as my co-host of the Survivor Squad podcast. And you know her even more so from Dirty John. I'm going to welcome to the program my co-host, Tara Newell. Hi, Tara. Hi, guys. Sorry, I'm like getting teared up. I actually got news that my stepsister, who is in the uh, Lahaina, she is safe. Um, I haven't heard from her directly, but I heard from her company, Pakaloha Bikinis, that is right in that city as well. And so they are, their whole warehouse burnt down, but they still have two shops, other places. So, you know, please support them if you guys feel inclined. Yeah. And also something to mention too, is the fact that there is, uh, there's a lot of, of course, as we know, in tragic circumstances, um, it, it, people who are opportunistic create opportunities out of these situations where they uh, can profit off of this. So there are some non there are some organizations that have just popped up with fresh new you, you know, uh, fresh new Instagram and TikTok accounts saying that they're collecting donations. So please, if you are donating, probably the first stop would be the American Red Cross. Uh, they are obviously the most trustworthy in these situations, uh, but also just just be careful, be cautious of where you're sending your money because it could be a scam, which is it sucks that we even have to say this or warn people of this because 
um, it, it, people are taking advantage of a disaster, but it really, it just that such is the way of the world. Um, we're waiting for our second, uh, our second guest today. Her name is Lainey Hobbs. She is the founder of the Paranormal, uh, True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival, but she is having a little bit of trouble connecting. So, uh, Tara, why don't we talk a little bit? We have a new episode of Survivor Squad that came out today, which is doing very well. And yes. our, our little podcast. Yeah. So uh, what are your feelings about Survivor Squad? I love it. I love the conversations that we have with survivors. We have a lot of people that just reach out to us with the episodes that we have put out. And even today, we have someone that has been struggling with their mental health and being a survivor and they are a young 20 year old male. And so it's really important to connect with those survivors and also give them resources. I'm now looking into a few things for them. Well, that's wonderful. And uh, in case you all don't know, Tara is one who, who when you're reaching out, <laughs> you're, that's the one you're speaking to. Uh, I am more of the, the back end, let's put it all together type of guy, <laughs> but so thank you, Tara, for reaching out to our audience. We are bringing Lainey on the program. I'm bringing Lainey on the program because we are headed over to Austin in a couple of weeks for the True Crime and, uh, and Paranormal Podcast Festival. Are you excited? Because you have family in Austin, and I've never been. I'm really excited. I think one of my sisters is actually going to come see us speak. And she's never seen me speak about my trauma other than watching me on Dateline or something else that I've been on. She always gets mad at me. She's like, Tara, let me know when something comes out. And I'm like, oh, I honestly, at this point, I don't even know what comes out when. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so our next guest is Lainey Hobbs. She is the, the founder and co-founder, as I said, of the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival based in Austin, Texas. And she has gotten her nice little background here and promotional materials. So she's going to kind of fill us in on what we're doing. We're going to have a conversation about how we all got into this and about ethical true crime and all that fun stuff. So please welcome to the program, Lainey Hobbs. Round of applause. Yay. Hi, Lainey. How are you? Hi. How are y'all? Good. I like your eyeshadow. Thank you. I did it for you because last time you commented on it, I was like, can't disappoint this this time. I, feel I did like... not comment on your eyeshadow, did I? No, but <laughs> you're welcome to now if you'd like to. <laughs> it looks great. Thanks. So thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. You know, we've been uh, connecting and everything over the last few weeks, getting ready for the festival. So this is kind of tying it up nicely in a little bow. Yes. And we also have John Palmer's episode on Survivor Squad the week before. Yes. And I just connected with now I can't remember his name, but he has the uh, the Latin American based. Uh, oh, like, Susto. Susto. Thank Aiden. you. Yeah. And we got he sent me his episode about Chupacabras, which I'm very excited about. But he told me they're from Puerto Rico, Puerto yeah. Rico. And I'm like, I thought Chupacabras were from Mexico, but apparently they're from Puerto Rico is what yeah. he said. So. Um, I thought that was interesting. So, uh, Lainey, why don't you tell us how you got into podcasting a little bit about yourself and about the festival? Sure. So I got into podcasting uh, around 2016. I was listening to NPR, like you were talking about earlier, and I was listening to Snapped Judgment. And they kept mentioning listening to more Snapped Judgment on um 
Apple Podcasts. I forgot what they used to call it back then, like iTunes Podcast or something like that. And I was like, what's a podcast? And then I discovered this whole new world and was like, wow, I wonder if they have true crime, you know, and found so much, uh, tr- well, not really a lot of true crime podcasts at the time. There were around maybe three shows, one of those being Generation Y and then, of course, uh, The Vanished. So I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And I started thinking about case recommendations over cases that I was passionate about and had learned a lot about and quickly discovered that neither one of those shows were going to cover the case the way I wanted to cover them or what I thought was relevant. Um, And so my husband, uh, boyfriend at the time was like, listen, you should just do your own. And long story short, basically, um, I was helped quite a bit by those creators uh, from the Generation Y podcast and from The Vanished with getting my show started. And um, that's kind of how I entered the world of true crime, you know, and then from there, I've launched other shows and done other things, which has been really great. But um, the festival kind of was bred from a idea while I was sitting literally at another um crime conference, if you will, and was like, man, I'd like to do this a little bit on a smaller scale and just with my friends. Um, It's really what it was kind of all about at the beginning. And we were successful in pulling that off. And so we were like, okay, well, people trust us to do this. And over time, our mission and values changed where we focused more on ethics and advocacy and putting um, families first, because I always say that um, without these people's tragedies and without their experiences and even their own tales of survival, we wouldn't have the platform we have. We wouldn't have stories to share or cases to share. Um, and so that's kind of really reinvigorated us um, since last year, I would say, is when everything kind of changed for me personally, even going as far as rebranding my show before um, and, you know, just being more motivated to have the conversations that are a little bit uncomfortable um, when you're a true crime creator and then also holding creators accountable. I'm kind of sometimes known for doing that. So that's really how I got into it. (laughs) I laugh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm a rebel rouser. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Um, So, uh, okay. So speaking on this whole um, subject of, ethical true crime. What does Mm -hmm. that look like to someone? Because, you know, Tara and I have both been involved in, obviously, unfortunately, violent crime. Right. Um, Many different forms, I suppose, (laughs) when I think about it. Um, You yourself, are you, are you, are you come from it from a victim standpoint? Did you have a family member that, that had gone through this or did you just come this strictly as someone who was intrigued by the genre and, and, you know, felt that just that draw towards it? Yeah, so it's kind of a bit of both for me. Um, I'm a survivor in my own right, but of different things and not of um, super violent crimes is what I would say. Um, I recall a specific incident that kind of kind of formulated my, my fear and anxiety. Um, when I was six years old, my mother's boyfriend's car died on the side of the highway in Dallas. And... Um, it, he went to go get gas and it was me and my two brothers in the back seat. I was asleep and these guys kind of just came up and ambushed my mom who was sitting in the front seat waiting for her boyfriend to get back with gas or whatever was going on with the car. And um, he held a gun to her head 
And the other guy that he was with held a like pointed the gun towards me and my brothers. And I didn't really understand like what was happening or what was going on. But my mom was just like terrified, obviously, um, you know, cause she had literally her three children in the backseat. And I remember getting out of the car, like they took all my mom's jewelry and my jewelry, or they didn't see my jewelry. I had uh, like gold jewelry and stuff like that. Uh, we ended up getting out of the car because we saw a police car and we were like waving them down and stuff. And I just was like so excited. Like I had the opposite response, like a total innocent kid. I was like, oh, my God, the police. Like, this is so cool. And I kept telling them my name. I was like, my name's Lainey. My name's Lainey because they kept asking like my brother's names and my mom's name. So I was like, why aren't you asking me my name? Like, my name's Lainey. You should be giving me some attention here. I just really didn't absorb the situation. Um, and it wasn't until I got older that I really realized like, our entire lives could have changed in that moment for people who were just literally, I mean, they have their own reasons, obviously, none of which I agree with to hold, you know, a gun to somebody's head for jewelry or whatever you think you're going to get from them. We were dirt poor. Um, but you kind of realize the gravity of the situation that you were in at the time and appreciate kind of how you kind how you got through that, right? Um, it's why I don't drive on the highways at night. I will avoid it forever until I die. Um, it's just something that's like a bred anxiety in me. Um, and then, of course, I was a victim of um, sexual abuse when I was younger. So I survived that, thankfully. Um, and it's just things that I was curious about. I was like, how do people do this? Like, it, it's always just been a thought process. Like, why do you get involved in these things? Like, why do you do this? Um, and then, of course, my mom handed me my first true crime book when I was like 12 or 13, which was a poor choice at that point, um, because then I was like, wow, I want to learn as much. And this was a time, right, when, because when I describe it, I describe it kind of like you know, because of how things have changed within the landscape of true crime now. Um, at the time, I was like, I want to learn as much about these serial killers as possible. I want to study them and I want to know why this happened and the psychology behind it and all that stuff. Um, and now I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's not even about them. Like, they're not even the best part of the story, which is the family members or the victims and all this stuff. Like, they're the people that matter in all of this. And everybody is so focused on the perpetrator. But at the time, that wasn't being discussed and that wasn't cared about. Right. It was like who's killed the most or who's taken up the most body counts and things like that or who's been the most like grotesque and things like that. So um, I got into true crime because of my mom. Uh, and I really didn't respect the genre the way that I do now and the content the way that I do now until um, I started my podcast and really kind of had those moments where I've met family members and victims and stuff and really had the opportunity to meet survivors because that changes, I think, your whole mindset when you're a consumer of true crime. Because if I had never met Tara and I had never involved myself in this aspect, I would have never seen her as a real person who survived something tragic. I would have never been like, oh, if I saw her on the street, I'd be like, whoa, it's so cool. Amazing what you did without realizing that that likely has a, a negative response and intake to her body because, you know, like trauma stores in your body. And so somebody congratulating you for taking a life, it isn't really making sense to your brain. You're like, what? Uh, that 
that's not a thing we should be like, woohoo, you know, <laughs> like glad you're here. But people, I think, disconnect themselves from the content because it's too close to home to realize that like this could have been my next door neighbor. Tara could have lived next door to me or I could have been living in that apartment complex and been like, oh, wow, like that happened right outside my front door. Um, you know, so it's it's a little I think it's a little life changing once you start realizing that these are real people who have real lives and it affects them um, greatly beyond a TV show. Yeah, I think that's well put. Um, I know Tara has a lot of feelings on that subject. A hundred percent. I think that, well, I think it's really interesting that you said that if you come up and you say something regarding my trauma, that my body's going to feel it a certain way. And the other day I was literally like, why does my stab wound hurt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm like going through like why I'm upset, what I'm feeling in my body. And I, I'm very good at like bringing that awareness and then bringing the awareness of like what's wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting. And because I wanted to people please and appease to people, I haven't said things at times and I've let my body feel it. Mm-hmm. So I just love that you said that. Yeah, it's stores everywhere, you know, because again, you you worry about the perception of being ungrateful, that you're not thankful that this person's kind of encroached on your space and brought your trauma up as if it was like, hey, did you watch that movie last night? You know, it's like a casual conversation and it's, they don't approach it with, I think, the sensitivity that it deserves, right? Yeah. Because if somebody, like I lost my brother in a car accident in 2009, if somebody came up to me and was like, gosh, talk to me about your brother and what that was like losing him, you know, you'd be like, uh, it's not a conversation I'm interested in having. Like, I'm fine discussing it um, on my own terms and me bringing it up. But if you're just going to like randomly pop up and say, talk to me about losing your brother, what was that like? Was it, you know, like, did you see his body and all these things like the way that people treat victims of crime and survivors of crime? They don't realize that if that conversation is turned on them they don't like that very much you know and I think Sarah does a great job of that of being like oh if you're gonna do this to me then I'm just gonna go and look up your grandma and do a (laughs) podcast on your grandma or something people are protective um, of their own personal story but then when it becomes a public thing they're like you don't sorry you're no longer um owed that same amount of privacy, right? They feel like you are a public persona now. And it's like, "Mm, nope. So yeah, Yeah. I get it. It's so interesting that you you talk about it that way because that was a lot of my perception growing up because I was not in this world Mm -hmm. until I literally started the podcast like what a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, uh, which was really called Moving Past Murder. Now it's Moving Past Trauma. Advertiser friendly. Um, <laughs> we love no, those it, ad bucks. Right, right. Oh, yeah. And they're really, they're really stacking up. Let me tell you. guys aren't millionaires. This is weird. This is strange. Yeah, right. Um, it's, you know, speaking of totally random off base, my, 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 my adopted mother, Susan, said, you need to mention this on your podcast and talked about this. She sent me a link to um, 
<laughs> to this article that's online that is um that is about me right mm -hmm. and one of the things that it mentions is my net worth is 15 million dollars <gasps> i'm going to look straight into the camera and i'm going to tell anyone if you can find that 15 million dollars i will split it with you no cap oh Please. boy <laughs> i will split it with i'm you. an investigator by nature Happily, i will find that 15 million a smile on my face if you can find that <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, I, I think that you know, there's a couple of things you said, you know, when you think about the, um, the, the sort of, for lack of a better word, the entitlement, I think that the public has upon people's stories, right? And I started placing this sort of context on it, um, where I think about like celebrities mm -hmm. or sport or athletes, like I'm, I'm into sports, right? I, I watch a lot of sports shows and I think that I, um, I often think about like how the public feels very entitled to to comment on these athletes and what they're doing on the field and oh they should be playing through and forgetting the human nature of it and I think I discounted that for the longest time uh, with 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 looking at those people in that way like looking at athletes in particular or celebrities or or musicians mm -hmm. anyone in the public eye for that matter that is doing something that is based out of talent or physical ability and then not having those talents or physical abilities or their faculties enabled to in, uh, in in the right order to uh pursue the goals and that, that the goals that society deems like winning the super bowl or playing right. at sofi stadium you know selling out crowds or whatever have you right and i thought wow they they go through it too in so many different ways and i think that you know tara and i get very we're we're very aware of that you know uh, with our own personal stories and something else that you said was that there's doggies bars all kinds of doggies dogs. oh is that your dogs so. <laughs> like, oh no wait no not, it isn't just kidding it's <laughs> not mine quiet. it's not mine because she has a she has a bully stick so she's not saying anything for the next hour <laughs> oh <my gosh>. but <laughs> but i do um one of the things that, that you touched upon was the focus on the perpetrators mm -hmm. and uh, and how it's now shifting to be more victim centric. But I find that that I think the real reason that people do not necessarily glorify a perpetrator, but gravitate towards a perpetrator like a serial killer, etc., is because it's so foreign and remote for them to relate to that it's very easy to it's very easy to um, to sort of distance yourself from it and then kind of excoriate them or then be like, this is a bad person, this is a bad person. Whereas <clears> if it is a single mother stopped on the side of the road, running out of gas because and AAA is not showing up on time and then they're held up at gunpoint or something to, of that nature, that that is something that could happen to anyone, mm -hmm. right? I remember I've been stopped and I'm a man and I'm a big guy. And like, I don't think a lot of people are eager to mess with me, but I still get kind of a little sketched out in some, you know, if you're in the middle of like nowhere, you start thinking, I never thought oh, I'll end up on a true crime podcast this way, but right. I did think that I would most certainly <laughs> like, oh, this is a little sketchy here in the middle of the desert at uh, 2 a.m. <laughs> I wonder what yes. goes on out here. Chupacabras. That's, that's what, what happens. That's what you should be worried about. Not ending up on a true crime, ending up on uh, Susto as oh, going Susto. out, you know. And be like, Collier went out to the Sonoran Desert one day. <laughs> yeah, never came back. I never came back. He came back with a scar. If you've watched the Black Mirror episode recently about a, a, a bite incident, you would be like, whoa. So I would say that, like, that could have possibly happened. I won't spoil it because, you know, people hate spoilers. But um, 
I've never like watched zombie? Black. You've never watched? No, Tara, I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've never watched Black Mirror? You would appreciate it, I think, from the uh, exposure side. Um, the other thing I, I'm noticing in the chat, people are like talking about the reality TV thing. Um, and you know, like how obviously, you know how true crime has just exploded in the last few years um, with like Peacock doing series um, and Netflix doing series that weren't green lighted or supported by the families. Um, and then those trends kind of run into TikTok, right? So like some of our, well, you know, our friends and stuff like that are big on TikTok and stuff like that because they've amassed a following by kind of sharing their trauma and how these things have affected them. Um, but there was one trend that was going around that really kind of just grossed me out. And it was where people were like, I created like creating binders of themselves for the potential that they may go missing. And we're like, here's everything I put in my binder for when I go missing or if I ever go missing. And I'm just like, and they're like, oh, and there was one person who was like, don't give my family time to mourn me. Like, this is these are the podcasts that I want co to cover my disappearance and stuff. And I was just like, how detached from your own life do you have to be to be like, God, you know, if I go missing, here's a whole binder for it. Um, I think that was the one trend that I was seeing that was so gross. Um, and I was, I, I was like, I hope that literally never happens to you. Like I, in, in, and what a shame for your family if it does like that you, and, and nobody's going to take you seriously. Right. Like I, I, I don't want to get too involved in this, but the Carly Russell thing, right? Like imagine if that would have happened, if that was a situation where this person had created a binder, they go missing and they're like, oh, they planned this. This is just a hoax. And they really were a victim. Like they're not going to look into it. So it was just such a weird, weird and gross trend where people are just like disconnecting from what the, what the tragedy really means when that's, when something like that happens, when a family member goes missing, if you go missing, like that is, that's a weird thing to plan for is what I would say. I can't even fathom creating something like that. It also feels to me like a like a life insurance policy or like a will <laughs> in a lot yeah. of ways too. It's like <laughs> planning. I mean, I don't know if it's, I mean, I'm sort of torn on that one because part of me thinks like, well, that is kind of smart though. <laughs> At least if so you have like, it is sort of like a last will, but it is, but it's very, well, it's very not really morbid. a last will. It's just like, <laughs> it's just in case. <laughs> yeah, I actually... Yeah didn't have a binder but i let other people know like hey go you go through my phone mm -hmm. my parents don't do that you know um yeah. i wrote a letter saying that cash would go to my ex-boyfriend and that so when this would go to this person this would go to this person just because of i knew that john was going to try to kill me mm-hmm so that was me playing, but that was a legit reason to actually do that. Yeah. yeah. You weren't like on TikTok or Instagram. You and know, I guess, being like, and, and I, guess I, I don't I don't know enough about the details of this, too, because I'm thinking about it in a very pragmatic way of like, oh, OK, yes, here's my affairs in order. This sounds like it's maybe a little bit more. It's a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> I would just say that the podcast that they selected to cover their case would not be podcasts that you'd be like, man, they're going to take it seriously and they're going to do this this person justice. It's going to be like they're going to have a good laugh 
and they're going to make fun of the binder being a thing. Like, you know, they're not going to be respectful of of the of the uh, missing or something like yeah. that. Yeah, so. and that's a good point. And, and to your point that you just made, the Carly Russell thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, that's a great point. Is that if you think of, it, you know, obviously, if you're in, you know, let's just say this for the record, if you're in danger, if you feel like your life is in danger, please go to law enforcement. Please contact others. Please share that information with people. Don't try to take it all into your own hands and, and ignore certain things. Uh oh! See that is yeah, my that, is that, like, that, hey, that is Marisol. That is Marisol. Chihuahua bark sounds like my Chihuahua bark. <laughs> she doesn't sound like Blondie though. Blondie used to have a very distinct bark, but she doesn't sound like this. This is more like a. I'm trying to eat my bully stick, guys. Can you not? Thank you. Right. <laughs> That's kind of her. <laughs> right, but um, but when you think about the the situations with with somebody like a Carly Russell, where you know if you did put a binder like that together, that does look like very attention seeking behavior. Yeah. But what are your What are your feelings with that particular situation? I mean, it's so yeah, it's so it's divisive, polarizing. of course, and polarizing. Yeah, everybody's like, well, this, and she, it's like she should have gotten, you know, you know, slap on the wrist or whatever they people think. But the fact of the matter is that people are out there searching for her. And families are now that have legitimately lost loved ones were mm-hmm. rushing to help her mm-hmm. because and this and this unknown child that was on the side of the road thinking and when law enforcement is getting I mean we're talking about spending millions you know, millions of dollars to to go find this person of a hoax that didn't exist mm-hmm. and then also how that re-traumatizes people who have never gotten that attention for their missing loved ones. All of a sudden, and here's law enforcement thinking they're stepping it up for this, and it's a hoax, right? And it's done as this attention-seeking behavior. Yeah. So when it first happened, obviously I was very concerned, um, and I was in the throes of, I, or right before this happened. So I don't. I saw remember. you posting a lot about it. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. yeah. So I was really concerned and stuff like that, and wanted to use my platform if I could to spread awareness, you know, and put our story out there. Um, Because you're right, like people of color, especially women of color, um, do not get the same type of media attention that um, others do. And I wanted to do what I could to help. And, you know, I was just, I was also concerned about this potential child, because I was like, if this was a child, like a trafficking thing, like this child's not safe. Um, And I was in a group chat with a bunch of my friends talking about it. And um, one of my friends is an attorney. And so they were like, "Mm, this is kind of weird. Like, this is a little strange and, and everything. But, you know, like, hopefully, they find out like what's going on. So, when it was discussed, when she returned home, I was taken aback by people being like, this was a hoax. This was a hoax. This was a hoax, like immediately. Um, Because for me, I'm like, until I have proof or until somebody comes forward and like the law enforcement come forward and say like, yep, it was a hoax. I was still like, listen, would you have preferred her to show up dead in a field? Because that's what it sounds like. You would have preferred her to be dead so that you were like, yep, she for sure was missing. She for sure was taken. Now we know because she's dead. Um, and so I was really kind of just annoyed with that narrative going immediately um, to the negative. Sure, right? They were right. Uh, I won't I won't let the trolls not be right on that one. So um, they were right on that. But to me, this is a mental health issue that 
this is a whole thing. Like, I, I get that she researched it and all this stuff, but this is not going to prevent me or stop me from helping other people who are in the same situation. I think that it's going to cause people to give it a harsher look. Um, this didn't do a lot of good for women of color who will go missing because it happens every day. Um, and I hate that there were families that stepped up to the plate to go and help search for her and that she re-traumatized them for some attention. I hate that for them. Um, but ultimately, like, yeah, there's not a lot from a legal perspective, which after she came home, um, my friend was like, I hope she has a defense attorney and all this stuff because he's like, it just does not like look good. She um, lawyered up like almost immediately. And, and that was smart. And I she should have. She should have. It no, was very but, smart. But, but this is the thing that I think about. Attorneys are expensive. And I love how people are always like, you know, even when I talk about certain things, they're like, oh, you should sue them or they use it. I'm like, you know how expensive it is to sue anyone? Yeah. It's ridiculously expensive. Not only because you got to hire a lawyer, but you got to pay all the fees and everything to get right. through all the court call. It is not cheap to go through any of that. Right. Um, and, you, and you might not win, right? But the fact that she then had to hire a lawyer, and I thought, and, and it does boil down to this point, and there's a point where I'm getting to here. But I thought about that, like, what a waste of money for her. It's not like she's, she's what? A she's nurse? not going to get any, yeah. She's a, it's, like, it's not like she's. <laughs> no, a nursing student. There, it's a nursing student. Not yeah. like she's sitting on, pi I mean, I mean, I might, I don't know any personal details about her life, but I don't assume she's sitting on some pile of money. Maybe she found that 15 million. Hey, Carly, you can't have that part. You, you got to give me well, you, your you share out of the lawyer. You got to <laughs> you gotta give me the full 15. Sorry. <laughs> you remove your lawyer fees. No, right. but in all seriousness, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, what a just a waste of money and just with this. But I think it boils down to exactly what you said, which is a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. And my question to both of you, please, is do you think with the popularization of true crime podcasts, mm -hmm. television shows, the sensationalization of this and the attention that people garner, is this somehow welcoming more of this type of behavior? And is this and is this sort of a a ram a canary maybe even a canary in the coal mine when it comes to these types of, of situations of, of media being developed in the new media landscape that more of these cases might happen? I, I mean, I don't think that it's new because there's somebody mentioned in the chat, Sherry Papini, that's who I was thinking of before. I'm like, this has happened many times. We've had runaway bride situations who, and plenty of people who have faked um, their disappearances. We had a guy who went missing, I think, in New York, and he was living this whole new life in Florida, died of a heart attack, and that's how his family found out, you know, that he had voluntarily walked away from his life um, while they did all of these missing persons things. I think that hasn't that's not a new narrative that's been painted. I think it's been harsh on Carly because she is a person of color. I think it's been um, because of the the way that the world is right now and how polarizing any topic is, um, especially when it involves people of color. Um, I think this wouldn't have been a blip on anybody's radar if it was anybody else. And so I think this is just one of those things. So it, I think it'll happen. Um, I think it'll continue to happen. I don't think that it'll ever 
stop happening or that we'll see an uptick in it. Um, also, because like with Sherry, you know, she faced pretty big consequences. It took some time to get there um, because, you know, she did false reporting. She wasted a lot of things. Um, she took funds from um, the victims, funds, I think, that they she was able to get for like therapy and all these things. So imagine going to therapy for something you faked, like yeah. faking the trauma. <laughs> I was like, who has time for that? Do you know how draining therapy is? Why would you knowingly create a false narrative that you then have to go and fake cry in front of a therapist over? You know, that's just that was the weirdest thing to me. And I I don't know if anybody's watched that interrogation video when she and her and Keith are brought back in when they discover that it was her ex-boyfriend who helped her with all of this stuff. Um, but she was still like until the very last second and even was like, I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't him. It wasn't him who did this to me or anything like that. So, you know, she's faced the consequences of her actions, I think. And I think that everybody, when they're found out, do. Um, and th who knows, there may be charges coming for Carly, depending on um, the resources that were used and all this stuff. Like she technically didn't file a police report. She made a false 911 call. That's at best a misdemeanor. So she's not going to get this this equivalent prison time that Sherry Papini got, right? Sherry Papini got like eight years or something like that. Um, I, I think she's serving, I think she's at the end of like a two-year sentence yeah. or something like that. So something... But it, yeah, I, and, and yeah, yeah, she's filing a fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people were like, oh, let's throw the book at her. And I think that's that's terrible. It's, you know, it, let the punishment fit the crime. But it, yeah. I'm less concerned about about what she the technicalities of what kind of sentence she should get and how she should be prosecuted through yeah. the court system and all that. I don't really care about that. I'm talking about the impact on victims and families. Yeah. And and this genre. And, uh, you know, there's obviously things that people always worry about copycats. Right. So it's less about less about her. Her. It's not about her being a person of color. It's not about mm -hmm. her being a woman or anything like that. This could be anybody. Right. It's it, the the part the the part that I'm that I'm opening up the conversation about is that there is a lot of attention seeking behavior that goes on, right? And do we do you think as a true crime creator who's been doing this a long time and Tara, please chime in, yeah, that this type of this type of reporting or this type of coverage of these situations encourages that behavior? That's really what I'm getting at. We're yes, not trying to hundred percent try this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pointless to do it anyway. But um, yeah, no, I definitely think it will. I mean, I think that they're always going to be, I mean, it, it's why we have people fake confessing to crimes. They love the attention, right? Like John Bonet has had how many people confess to her murder, oh. you know? And it's, it's still happening to this day, like as recent as I think, a month ago this is still happening so i think people are still going to do it because they weirdly think that they're going to get like a netflix documentary about them a netflix movie <laughs> or a peacock movie like i truly think that's the aspiration for some of these people is that they're gonna go down this line of of <laughs> thinking that this is going to lead to some sort of fame right and I take like Carrie Rawson, um, for instance, she's BTK's daughter, Dennis Rader, if you guys don't know. Um, mm -hmm. She deals with that a lot because her dad still wants to be in the limelight. 
he's still like commenting on things like with the um, Long Island serial killer. You know, like he's still kind of inserting himself being like how Ted Bundy was with the Green River Killer, where he was like, oh, I could tell you how um, this guy's operating, you know, and he had no clue because Ted Bundy is only aware of Ted Bundy and how Ted Bundy operates and not any other person, because every person is unique, even serial killers, despite them having psychopathy or sociopathy. Um, Those aren't even terms that exist anymore, I think. So, yeah. you know, it, it, to me, it's all attention seeking behavior that we continue to give them, even with the bad actors, I would say, in true crime and in podcasting, we still do this, we still go and say, um, we're going to give you a platform, but forget everything you did just months and months ago, and not even yeah. on Kara's situation or what you were talking about. I mean, I'm, in general, this is what we do. Um, yeah. They don't do their due diligence and realize that the reason like there's a podcast out there who took who took advantage of somebody going missing and that launched them into getting network deals and launched them into so many things and they had it all wrong you know they were pointing the finger at the wrong person traumatizing this family and for what wait what was this i missed I this i don't know is oh. this the I don't we don't talk to, no 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 no. Oh, God, no we don't talk about them or mention their name because they're very annoying on social media and they'll literally just like spam you with their like I'm a journalist what do you mean um so it's a not worth it I'll tell you privately so that you know um and there's more than that I mean this has been ongoing since like literally the Tara Grinstead case you know like I use Payne Lindsay a lot as an example because nothing I say will ever hurt him um but he you know created a platform where he was just randomly naming people who lived in this town had absolutely like no actual factual based evidence to say like it was her ex-boyfriend it was the cop it was this guy who did it and it turns out guess what two students who he had no he had never mentioned on his show or anything like that but when tara's body is found the narrative shifts to Payne lindsay solved her case he brought it to the forefront and he's the one responsible for this knowing he was completely off base and everything that he did so we we forget these things, you know, and it's really interesting to see how the landscape has changed because I think even Payne has gone back and been like, yeah, I don't, I didn't solve this crime. Like I, I got attribution for it unfairly and I should not have gotten it. So like, I appreciate that he's, um, he's done Funny things enough. like that, which is why I mention him because he has said it. Otherwise I wouldn't <laughs> talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of Coco Birthman? No. Should oh I have? Is it bad? <laughs> oh my gosh. She was another person that faked a whole thing. And it's crazy because there's actually a podcast now out on uh, Dear Media. And I tried connecting with her. I think she liked a few of my like things and stuff. But it's really interesting because I've called out a few people that have had completely exaggerated stories. And this one girl actually, and I don't want to say this one girl's name because she actually used my story. And her story was abusive and stuff, but she created like the tracker on the car and stuff. And I was like, this sounds really familiar. <laughs> Twin. Uh huh. And she went on Heather McDonald's uh, podcast and Heather McDonald blew her up. And so 
you know, but I called her out and then it turned out that she actually was lying about stuff. And I had a lot of her, like this guy's ex-girlfriends coming to me and being like, he's a bad dude, but he's not that bad. Yeah. And, you know, abuse is abuse. So you shouldn't have to make stuff up or add my story to your story. Yeah. You know, but the Coco Berthman, she was a sexual quote unquote, she made all this up. She was a quote unquote sexual trafficking um person victim. victim mm. And she literally shared her story, got so popular. Went on the Skinny Confidential podcast. She went on um, Mark Grove's podcast. She went on so many podcasts that were humongous. Wow. She was hired by the Mulu Foundation to be a speaker and just like really took advantage of this and really made money off her trauma, which I'm like, I really haven't made money off my trauma, but like. But if anybody should. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> it's interesting. And she literally, how she got outed is she made, she claimed she had cancer. And oh, was, I think I remember that. Okay. And it was this rare type of cancer. She did a lot of research. She started a GoFundMe and I think she oh, got like yes. $10,000 from her GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. And like this person, like even like it's so it's so nuts to me because like she presented herself as the perfect victim. Yeah. And people and were so, like, we love you. Yeah. And so she got blown. Her case just got blown up. I remember now it was all over TikTok. I recall that now that you said the GoFundMe thing. Oh, um, yeah. But I didn't know about the impersonating or stealing, which is a weird thing to do. <laughs> to feel like. Your trauma is mine. We're trauma twins. You know what I mean? We were birthed at the same moment in uh, trauma. And I think that's weird that you would want to do that. But I get it. If you're financially motivated, like I scammers aren't good people, you know, so I I get it. Um, But yeah, it's it's such a weird, weird thing. But, you know, I think that's kind of why we get in these conversations around ethics and advocacy and why part of what we're trying to do at the festival is create that narrative, right? Bringing back the power to the family members and to the victims and their names, because oftentimes, like, you know, you guys know this, I know this, but the general public doesn't know this too much. But oftentimes, there's not a single news story about anybody. Like, these podcasts are sometimes the only avenue that a family has to get their loved one's name out there. And it could be a podcast that has five listeners. It could be a podcast that has 10,000 listeners or 30,000 listeners. Like I look at the work Marissa from The Vanished has done, and she has done so many incredible things with helping families. And she does so quietly. She doesn't blast it from the rooftops. She's entirely victim focused. Like this is something she was meant to do and she does it well. Um, And you won't see her, you know, on TV, you know, patting herself on the back or anything like that. She moves silently. And I think that that is just the coolest thing. And what I admire the most about her is that she she does things like that. But part of what we're trying to do with the festival is put that back in the family's hands and say, like, teach us like I take my I'm not, you know, 
the end all be all on what's ethical and what's not, right? I take my cues and how to move in this industry and in this genre from survivors. Like Sarah Turney is probably one of my core people that I look to to say like, what is she talking about, right? Like sometimes she'll go on Twitter and say these things and I'm like, damn, I didn't think about that. That's pretty smart. Um, or I'll text her something and she'll she'll send me something back and I'm like, dang. Sometimes I've literally texted her <laughs> and been like, are you talking about me? Because I feel like, did I do something? Because <laughs> I'm always just like, you know, I want to make sure that I'm being super respectful because I literally until I met Julie Murray, she's the one who changed everything for me. Until I met Julie Murray and Mariah Day, I'll say, um, at the festival last year, I didn't, I was able to distance myself with every case that I covered on my podcast. I was able to talk about really sad things and go grab a Starbucks, you know, and it not affect me. I'd just be like, this is a case. I'm literally just getting in my booth recording. See you later. Um, and then last year when I met Julie and Mariah, I was like, oh my gosh, like you lost your sister. You've been working on this for 20 plus years. You've had people troll you. You've had people troll your dad. You had people troll your now deceased sister. You have people making up lies about your sister and being really gross about it, you know, and profiting off your sister's name. Um, and then you have Mariah, who's whose mom was brutally murdered. And the only people they, the only person that people care about is the person who murdered her and how like messed up she was, right? Instead of being like, who was she? They made her out to be this ditzy, dumb person uh, and, and make a dark comedy about her death, which is, I can't even imagine how that feels, you know? So meeting them, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I before I had my, um, before I changed my podcast name at the time, it was called True Crime Fan Club. And I started it in 2016. And I chose that name because I was like, you know, I want to be the president of the fan club and be like, hey, we all like true crime. And it was very, and also I'm very bad at picking names. So it's literally just <laughs> the best I could do is what I would say. Um, and I didn't think about it. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, you know, um, so I created this name and then as time went on, I started cringing at having to say it and be like, I, I, it's called True Crime Fan Club, but just call it like TCFC, you know, like I would just say like abbreviated and stuff and even meeting Julie and be like, yeah, my podcast is called uh, True Crime Fan Club podcast, you know, like it just felt really cringe and gross. Um, and it was after the festival that I was like, I'm just going to rename my show. I had been thinking about it for a few years and was really concerned that it would affect my branding, my marketing and all this stuff that I had built up, you know, because I'm not to toot my own horn, but toot toot, right? Because I'm a fairly successful podcaster for the genre. Like I'm, I get, I got in at a great time, pure luck. That's really all it is. And the content keeps it going. So if the content sucked, I wouldn't have people listening. Um, but I was very lucky for when I started. And I was worried that people wouldn't like it. And then I was like, you know what? If people care about my my podcast name and the reason why I changed it and don't want to listen to my show anymore, then I'm not making content for them because they never cared about the content. Um, and so that really changed everything for me. Uh, and that's why it's now just, again, 
solid, creative name, True Crime Cases. You know, it's <laughs> it's not anything um, crazy in branding or anything like that, but it is just something I, I wanted to do. And then this kind of snowball effect started happening even with my own friends. And they were like, yeah, you know, seeing you do it. And again, I'm not saying I'm responsible for this. So I'm not like ego. Okay. I'm just saying that I've literally had people message me and saying, like you changing your name made me like want to change my name and gave me like the courage to do that. And I was like, wow, like sometimes people just need to see others doing it to to know that it's like going to be okay. Right. And it was um, 10 minutes of change. That's all it did. I had to just reroute my podcast, update my little name and iTunes and nothing changed. And that was it. And people were very supportive of the change that I made and seeing my friends do it too. I was just kind of like, we're doing, we're being the change, you know, that we want to see in the world as cheesy as that sounds. Um, and, and leading the charge in that and hopefully leading by example, right? We don't always get it right. We aren't the end all be all in ethics. We're all navigating this way. And part of what we're working on um, for this year is encouraging shows to kind of build their own code of ethics that for their specific show, what are some things they're going to hold true to? Are they going to contact victims and ask permission? Are they going to do X, Y, Z? So that we're not doing like this broad, like if you're in true crime podcasting, you need to follow these rules of ethics. Like we're not doing that. Um, but it's like show specific, like what works for me may not work for, you know, Charlie at Crime Lines or whatever. Like it may not work for you guys either because you have a very different perspective and understanding of 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 true crime than I do. Like I've never and hopefully never have to <laughs> survive anything remotely near what you guys have, you know, had to endure. Um, but you have such a, a unique perspective that I think needs to be respected. And I think other creators should be uplifting you and supporting you and really doing as much as they can to help you be successful. Because again, without your stories, we wouldn't have a platform and half these people wouldn't have the success they have. Like they literally got their money off of tragedy. Like if we want to be like real specific about it. And so like, to me, if you're not giving back to this community and you're not giving back to the families, then what are you doing? Soapbox off of it. Thank you. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think some also some people were um, maybe misconstruing our, our when we were talking about <laughs> Carly Russell and, and oh my god, yeah, and it, Sherry it, it, off base, and I ignore it because it's off okay. base. All right, I just want to make sure just because I don't remember yeah. saying anything like that. They can enjoy the argument they are having with themselves because it's not relevant <laughs> to I don't what we were discussing at all right now. So you're fine. <laughs> um, you're fine Man, you're fine <laughs> yes but yes. um you know these are all really really great points and whoa see whoa. even she's upset she's upset <laughs> she's she's getting she's like that's not what we met <laughs> you weren't even talking about that <laughs> she's wow yeah it's, a, it's, it's okay sweetheart it's okay marisol marisol está bien <laughs> you see it, right? Collier <laughs> does a good job. Cállate, cállate. Don't tell that baby to shut up. 
Orale, Marisol, no you know what? You, no can, importa. There you go. At least you can say it the way that like some of us say it, where it's like really aggressive, and it's like cállate los cinco. It's like <laughs> if I my grandma used to tell me that, and I'd be like. <laughs> I'll leave now. Thank you. My Spanish <laughs> has been de has degraded so much because it used to be so 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 good hey, twenty happy years to talk ago. To you and my native tongue. Uh, it's 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 so weird because I, mean, I was in totally way off basis from what we were just talking about. But I was I was even telling Tara this recently <laughs> that I lived in Orange County for the first year and a half that I lived in California, and I worked at a Latin nightclub, and I was the only white guy that worked there. You know, Shut I up. mean, there were obviously people there were like people that were like complected, but I was like the the guy from Ohio. Right. I was not from Southern California. I was not of Hispanic descent. Right. Mm -hmm. So I learned, you know, los borrachos me enseña las palabras malas <laughs> because I literally learned all my Spanish, even though I took it like in high school and whatever. But like, that's not. That's just learning a language to pass a grade. That's not learning right. a language to like travel Listen, to a country. I got a C in speak. Spanish, and I'm a native speaker. Precisely, it's right? It's not the right Spanish. <laughs> Precisely, and it's like then there's a difference between Castilian Spanish, which they speak in Spain, and they speak okay, in sorry, you know, and then you know, then there's the, there's Basque, and you know, all these other mm -hmm. sort of things that come in, and then there's you know, literally Mexican, like you know, Spanglish, like. Oh my God. Just yeah. This, like chingarera slang that you just like you learn. And I learned all this stuff while working there. But it was, but it, my point is, is that when I lived in Orange County, if I went into a restaurant and I ordered something in Spanish, they would speak back to me in Spanish. If you do that in LA, they will speak back to you in English. Yeah. And I said, I said, the, I, and, I, and I think the reason why is because in LA, obviously there's a lot more white people. There's a lot less. I mean, there's plenty of Hispanic people here in Southern California, right? But I think that it literally was a way of them saying, we are in your country and we've learned your language, which I totally, I totally get because yeah. I would be trying to speak Spanish if they were speaking English to me, if I was overseas, right? If I was living in Mexico, I would do the exact same thing to establish that, hey, I'm here as a part of your culture. And I want you to know that I'm, that I can speak your language or I'm attempting to speak your language because I'm yeah. in your country, which I think is a beautiful thing. Right? I also get offended if people speak to me in Spanish first. I'm like, no. Okay, see so that I must be one of those. Yeah, I'm like, what are you talking to me in Spanish for? You don't even know, you know. So I'm just like, uh, hi. I respond in English too. I think it's just a uh, snootiness. If I'm going to be honest. I know, but it's but it's like when completely like I I don't get to practice Spanish as much as I. As yeah, I, we have to know you're I there like. in peace before you're out here talking to me in Spanish. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, if I come in and say buenas, buenas, you know. what are you guys saying? Hello. Hello. Oh, well, like the one saying that you said, like, Gaete Losico, that means shut your mouth. Oh, okay. Like, me. I said, I said no, te met, no te metas en lo que no te importa, which means yeah. don't be, this is nothing of your concern, Mary. So, yeah. like, don't get involved in something. Don't, don't get involved, basically. <laughs> I'm not yeah. getting involved. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you guys are going to have a lot of fun. Oh, I was going to tell you uh, that um, you should meet. Kimberlea. She's also a YouTuber. I don't know if you've uh, saw her or anything like that, but she's going to be there. Um, and you guys are all local to LA. So you should consider hanging out. Yes. I, so we're going to get to meet all yes. these people. So yes, yes, it's Tara, please. Well, I followed her on Instagram yesterday. She followed me back. We commented oh, on our dog photos and it's that's as far as we gotten, but I'm sure we'll connect more. Yes, it's going to be great. And um, we're supposed to get a cold friend in Austin. 
which is wonderful. 98 degrees, nice and balmy. <laughs> you like humidity, which is very strange to me that you said that. So if you ever moved to Texas, you'll love Houston. Um, but right? <laughs> would not recommend. <laughs> so I have a funny story about Houston. So I shot a documentary. I was shooting a documentary all in the South, like, I don't know, like five years ago or something like that. And uh, like, yeah, like 2017, 2018. Um, and we get to Houston and I'd never been to Houston. And I came, we go to this like very expensive neighborhood in mm -hmm. Houston. Montrose. We like, maybe, yeah, it was a very, it was a gated community. It was very, it was very beautiful. When we got out of the car, this is like, you know, we're, California's in a perpetual drought, right? Like everybody's, there's no lawns and it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's really not this. And I, remember, <laughs> I got out of the, the, our production vehicle and I see this beautiful grass yard and I'm like, oh my God, you guys, look at this grass. And I go over and I just start like laying in the grass and just kind of petting the grass. <laughs> and like, I, I put my head down and I'm like, this is, it smells so good. And this and that. And as I look, there are people that are going to this, to this event that we're at in this private gated community and they're walking with their children and they're staring at me. And they're literally like one of those things, like they're like, hurry up, kids, hurry up, yeah. hurry up. Crazy, crazy man. Crazy, crazy man. The guy's like ushering his family. <laughs> like, they just Nothing to see here. It's just grass. <laughs> and then I arrive with the cameras and my crew and they're looking at me at this party. They're like, that was the, that's the crazy guy. <laughs> it was rolling like, grass. Like people have been telling me to touch grass and here I am. I thought it would. I just was very. I was very luscious green it grass. Was, it was luscious, beautiful grass that we don't see out here. I mean, you maybe see it obviously in Beverly Hills because they have manicured lawns and it's just yeah, it's just yeah. how it goes right there. It's just the way the sun is and all that. But like you know, even I live in Santa Monica and it's like now the lawns that were green a month and a half ago are like brown. Brown. Like oh god, come on. But yes grass and um and things so, so i'm a first time I, I this is my first time in austin what am i going to do besides um, go to the festival you're going to go to the bat caves i don't know where, where tara plans to take you um because it really just depends there's a bunch of things to do and you guys are both active which is really great because austin is one of the most active cities um in texas it's literally right. known as the fittest city so i mean people work out what? it is <laughs> It when is. I lived there, I gained like 15 pounds. Well, I mean, that's I why people, people work out so much because their food is good. Now, breakfast tacos will highly disagree because San Antonio is the best. Um, but if you've never had them, then of course you think Austin's great. But um, the Bat Cave, you can see people, the bats flying out from the South Congress Bridge. Yeah. Uh, you go to the park. I, oh, is that? I've seen videos of this. That's yeah. in Austin? Yeah. Oh, I have to see that. Let's they also that. do like a bat tour boat thing now, which is really interesting. Like you can be in the boat while they go out. And I'm just going to pass on all that um, for me because I've seen it like a billion times. So it's not anything new for me. But um, yeah, there's a ton of stuff to do. There's great music out there, like That's any place you could go to, like music, record stores and stuff like that. You know, I mean, it's all it's a great little city an oasis of acceptance is what i would say like it's just a great a great um town to hang out in and you know it's mostly known for sixth street but i would not recommend going there right now um or ever um there's other it's, fun things to do yeah what is sixth street 
It's a party place. Think of it like think of it like Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Okay, that makes it's sense. It's like people are peeing on the side of the street, and you're just like, I paid for this on purpose. Like this is what I came for. That's what what that's about. <laughs> I used to go out a lot down there, and I literally wouldn't go out unless I had a guy with me, mm-hmm. because there would be fights that would just happen randomly. You know, people would just be weird to you and come up and literally grab you, or I don't know if that's just, like, my thing that happens to me because <laughs> I'm small, but, yeah. like, it's just, like, it was disgusting. And yeah. well, like I loved a few things. Like there's a really cool country bar down there that does line dancing and stuff. Um, but Rainy Street, I say, is like where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. And SoCo, if you like shopping and like vintage and stuff like that, like I love South Congress. It's my favorite place to go to because I love finding all different knickknacks and stuff. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a ton of stuff to do. I just sent Kimberly a, a whole list especially like as it relates to downtown stuff because you know people want to know about the food and all that stuff and i mean honestly i don't know if you've had the ramen place there now i can't remember the name since i'm put on the spot but it's like some of the best ramen um that's there even better than new york and i've had new york ramen so I, 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 I don't get this ramen obsession. Yeah, I'm not a ramen person. And I live and I live right here. And then, carbs? And the best. <laughs> yes, for sure. But the best ramen is like uh, that. Everybody ever tells me is like I live right. I live in Santa Monica, but or right over is like Sawtell and like Wilshire Corridor and like Sawtell is where all the, the Japanese like restaurants are like the Shabu Shabu restaurants and all that. And that's where they say like all the best ramen is, and at least in LA, and if this, if not like in the country, like everybody I know, they're like, oh my god, you gotta go to this ramen place with like Westwood and all that. So I'm like, I don't. You're like, it, I'm it's good. Su- it's like I ramen to me will always be Maruchin cup of new cup of noodles you pour <laughs> <Ramen>. in. <laughs> like that's what ramen is to me. I don't know. I'm just not a. I don't know. I'm not a big ramen person. Okay, but, well, there's other food. I'm excited. I, and I know the food in Texas is insane because I love barbecue. So I remember oh, yeah, that. Texas barbecue can't be beat. Yeah, but yeah. then they weigh it on a scale. Like, this is what I don't like. They weigh it mm-hmm. on a scale and then they, it's portioned. And I'm like, but I'm paying like $30 for this. Like, why? I need more. Like, more. Where brisket, are you going? More. I know. I mean, like, they do weigh it, but it just, it's not like you're not paying that much. It depends on where you go. Yeah. I must have gone to the wrong place. Probably. If you I went to a place in Houston's in Houston. And it was, uh, I remember seeing, this is my first time, not to get political. (laughs) This is the first time I realized that all the politicians were in cahoots is it was a photograph and it had like a young, it had George and Barbara Bush, George Bush senior and Barbara Bush. And then it had Bill and Hillary Clinton and George W. And, um, what was his wife's name? I can't remember. Barbara. Um, No, no, no. Oh, Laura. Laura. They were all sitting there and they were smiling and they took a photo and it was in Texas. And I was like, see, they're all in cahoots. Yeah. Okay. Well, Bill Clinton's a fake (laughs) Republican or fake Democrat. So it's fine. We're not going to get political. They're all in cahoots. They're all (laughs) in cahoots. I saw this, like this random barbecue joint that we went to and I was like. Oh yeah. I know which one you're talking about. I was like, this is an interesting, like, this is a very interesting photo to see here. Okay. And I mean, rooftop bars and all this stuff, you know, when are you guys getting in Thursday, right? Or Friday? Friday, Friday Friday? morning, very early. So, you know, you guys are weird. Well, that's okay. We're not drinkers either. So, well, like, we don't drink at all. So. (laughs) Mocktails. 
I'm not a drinker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's good. You know, I, mean, I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> we know. I'm just kidding. We'll do, um, you know, we have. You several. don't know. Thank God. None of, nobody here knows. Thank that's God. True. Not that it was like, that's not true. that it was a bad, not, not that it was like. We have several people in recovery. So you'll be amongst friends is what I will say. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to be high on life when you're around all these people. So you don't have to even worry about that and stuff. Well, I just was one of those people that said, I'm going to try to quit for 30 days. And then that was three years ago. So. Well, you know, we love dedication. I was like, hey, I was like, every, my, my landlord was here this morning. He was like, oh, I'm hungover. And I, and I was like, I was like, how you doing, man? And he, I could tell. And he was like, you know, you smell it too. But I was like, I was like, hey, I was like, hey, he's like, oh, I'm hungover. And I was like, I haven't said that in three years, man. I'm like, it's a good feeling. Cause it's yeah. just like, oh. Plus, the older you get, like, oh, my God, hungover could happen after one drink. Um, I used to get up and run, like, miles. And I'm like, how did I ever do that? And not cause, and I wasn't, like, a daily drinker or anything like that. But I most certainly would get carried away, absolutely, with my buddies. But I'd be like, how did I ever get up? Because I, I would get up, and I'd still probably be drunk. And I'd be like, okay, now I need to run five miles. I mean, it's insanity. Right. Insanity. Yeah. And I'm like, how did I not like sprain my knee more or hurt this and that? It's just ridiculous. Anyways, that's a whole conversation for a whole right. day. The point of this is, is I'll be going to the bars and drinking my Diet Coke, which is which is my cancer cocktail these days. So that's what Love I it. call it. Love but anyways, it. Lainey Hobbs. So thank yes. you for joining the program. Okay, so, so what is the podcast festival? What is the podcast? Where can my audience find you? Uh, okay, so the festival is called the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival. You can find it at truecrimepodcastfestival.com. I am all over social media at different handles. Um, but you can follow me on Instagram. And I think I am under Lainey Hobbs VO because I'm a voiceover artist and stuff. And my podcast is called Super Simple True Crime Cases with Lainey. The end. Love it. <laughs> I might have to take some VO lessons from you. You know, I could in, I could get into coaching and all that stuff. It's actually very easy and you make pretty good money doing it. So you should do UGC because I already told you about that. Doing UGC. Okay. That's something we can talk about later. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> We're going to have fun. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. Where did they call you go? I know. I was like, uh, him. Oh, I kept talking. I kept talking. Could you guys not hear me? No. I kept myself away because the screen was too crowded. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, Tara, what is our podcast? Tell the audience where they can find you. Well, it is the Survivor Squad podcast, anywhere where podcasts are available. But on YouTube, there is just the teaser. So don't get mad at us for just finding the teasers on YouTube. But if you go to our Patreon, you can find the full episodes there. Yes, and when we re release part ones and parts twos, you get to find you get to have the whole episode before anyone else yeah. gets to listen to it. So it's very, very cool. Well, Tara, Lainey, thank you so much for joining. We are looking forward as Survivor Squad to going to True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival in Austin, August 24th through the 26th, right? Yes. Fantastic. I'm, I Look love it you. when I get it right. Technically the 25th I... through the 27th, but whatever. <laughs> 25th through the 27th. 25th through the 27th. There we go. You'll be there at some point. So that's a good thing. And you're I'll also doing a, a panel or a, a speaking engagement thing. Yeah, we're doing a panel and a speaking engagement. That's on yes. Saturday, correct? Yes. And it's going to be great. So very excited. And you guys, you know, like I said, you get to just keep building up on... Um, sharing your story and letting people get to know you, which I think is going to be transformational for a lot of people attending. Aww. Thank you. Thank you. That's very sweet of you. 
thank you so much. Ladies, thank you so much for joining the program. And uh, we'll keep everybody up to date. I will have links to the podcast festival in the show notes of today's episode. And uh, that's, <laughs> that's all. Uh, I want to say thank you so much to my guests, Tara Newell and Lainey Hobbs for joining the program today. Channel members, channel subscribers, thank you so much for joining the program today. Thank you for all your support, those that bought super stickers. Thank you so much for supporting the program and those that support me on Patreon. Your contributions monthly help make this podcast possible and be able to bring fantastic guests and fantastic content to y'all. So thank you so much. And please, if you wouldn't mind, click like, click subscribe, and please click the bell for alerts so you can be alerted when these live streams come on, which is every Wednesday and Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern time. I'm Collier Landry. This is Moving Past Trauma. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. For exclusive content around this podcast, please consider supporting me via Patreon by going to collierlandry.com forward slash support. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see video episodes of this podcast, please check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash collierlandry. You can find links to additional resources in the show notes of today's episode. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Copyright, Collier Landry.